0: Thank you and welcome back to another episode of the Shula Bowl podcast brought to you by Five Reasons Sports. As always, you can find the podcast at Five Reasons Sports on Twitter and you can always find the podcast at Shula Pod on Twitter as well. I am Eric Henry, FAU beat writer for SB Nations Underdog Dynasty. I'm joined as always by our FAU contingency. On the line tonight, we have Jake Ellman, FAU beat writer for the Palm Beach Post and Shane Marinelli who's been uh, covering recruiting this entire time for uh, FAU, Alice Ness, and a myriad of other outlets. But uh, before we jump into things really quick, Jake, I I know you want to uh, get some to kind of state some things, and I'll follow up after you go. So, Jake, I'll let you take it away.
1: Yeah, so you just mentioned that Shane has been covering recruiting, and I just wanted to start off this episode by saying that Shane kicked ass this recruiting cycle. I cannot stress that enough. And there's a lot of other words I would use. I like to think of ourselves as A work-friendly podcast, so I won't use them, but I'm sure that you can imagine them. Just all the words I would use before Shane kicked ass, why? Shane was great. Shane handled recruiting great. I cannot stress that enough, and I'm sure I'm going to repeat myself, but I just want everybody to know I feel that way. Eric feels that way. David feels that way. We just want to recognize and make sure that everybody knows that Shane was fantastic. This recruiting cycle going all the way back to signing day last year, getting everything prepared, talking with these kids. He, I hate saying broke a few commitments because there's kind of a negative connotation to that wording, but he built some really good relationships with the kids that FAU signed. So if you're an FAU fan, just appreciate what Shane has done for this program and
0: what he's done for this fan base in the last few months. Really quick, before Shane says anything, I want to go ahead and piggyback off of that. I remember the first time, I believe it was the first time I had a phone conversation with Shane. It was I want to say it was about 13 or 14 months ago because I know I was in Jacksonville at the time uh, covering recruiting uh, of, a, of a kid who ended up at FIE receivers currently on their roster. And uh, Shane and I probably had an hour-long conversation about, you know, some things he'd wanted to do as far as jumping into this whole landscape that is, you know, quote-unquote reporting slash, you know, whatever you want to call it. I know Shane wouldn't call himself, quote-unquote, you know, Big J journalist uh, per se, maybe like Jake and I. But um, uh, he's very passionate about what he does. And, uh, you know, just kind of seeing what he's – or where he's come from then, uh, to you know, the first time we met uh, in uh, in Fort Lauderdale at that bar. Now, so I do want to echo that as well. I want to say, Shane, you know, he's uh, we will get too much into his personal background and what he's uh he's given up to kind of make this full commitment, but uh, he deserves kudos on that. So uh, yeah, that, I'll follow. Yeah, up Yeah,
1: this is the compliment episode. This is when everything that has happened since the regular season, all the work that Eric has done for the FIU side, because he's really. With all due respect, he's really the only person not affiliated with FIU who covers FIU the way that somebody should as a beat reporter or somebody invested in the program and what Shane has done, although Shane for once isn't talking. Both fan bases should appreciate the job that those two do. David, too, because David is the fan element, and I know that with FIU – We've talked about it. Obviously you have guys like Drucker and those guys, but their fan base maybe isn't as vocal as we would like it to be. And this is coming from somebody who went to FAU and graduated from FAU. So this is the compliment episode. You guys have been great. You guys kicked ass and you know who else kicked ass? Willie Taggart and Butch Davis.
0: So Shane, what do you have to say? Wow.
1: Uh, Thank you so
2: much guys. You know, it, yeah, like I was not <laughs> expecting that. Um, yeah, it's I've I put a, like a lot of work into it, trying to balance a couple other jobs, and it's um, it's you definitely realize it's like a absolute full time job, and especially you know kind of that due to when F eight when you do kind of nine months of work, um, and then FAU changes a coaching staff, it uh, <laughs> it makes things <laughs> even more difficult on all the players. You've been kind of talking to you. but you know I will say just kind of in this game like I'm only as good as the information that you know the, the the kids talking to me um and the you know the high school coaches and just trying to you know cover kids you know all the major outlets out there they're of course they're covering the top kids in the country and we're trying to give you know some notoriety to really good high school football players you know FAU and FIU are putting you know at that point they're putting tons of players in the NFL and you're still in the hotbed and you know, as you know, many in the industry. Not everyone needs from down here, especially in South Florida or, you know, that kind of state of Miami. As old Howard Schellenberg used to say, Orlando South. Um, not every kid needs to be a five star down here. If you just watch college bowl games, um, you know, it seems like every team had some player, some DB or receiver running around that is from the state of Florida. So, you know, and most of them are like, oh, wow, that kid was just a three-star. That kid was just a two-star coming out in their state of Florida, and they're making plays um, in major bowl games for major programs. So, I mean, there's just an endless amount of talent, um, you know, down here. I've been to three seven-on-seven events all the last few weekends, and I will be at another seven-on-seven event this weekend, working on the next class, trying to see as many kids as this as I can. So, you know, when I speak on them, I can be, is somewhat accurate um you know I'm not a uh, coach where I can break down every kid but you know um but you know again thank you guys and I only hope to you know kind of get better and you know bigger at it in the future but yeah um kind of picking off back what Jake said that uh, I think and you know we'll break into kind of both these classes uh in different ways FAU and FIU did very well today
0: Absolutely. So uh, why don't we go ahead? I guess the one thing we did plan ahead is that we want to compliment Shane. chain. We didn't decide on uh, who we wanted to start with as far as a program. <laughs> I didn't so, plan uh, it ahead. I <laughs> ahead. I um... uh, all right. Um, I, I guess, uh, you know what? I guess I'll go ahead and open up because it is just me. Um, I know you guys will have a, a lot to say about FAU. So I'll go ahead and uh, just open up really quickly, which is kind of the bare bones for if, if you hadn't, you know, if you're catching this podcast, maybe and 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 you hadn't, you know, heard the news or read you know, an article or whatever it may be, uh, I'll just give you, you know, the quick facts, which is FIU added six players to this class, which is going to bring the total amount to 21 right now, tentatively 22. There's a. Uh, kind of a formality as far as a preferred walk on things of that nature. But uh, we'll go ahead and, and call it 21 right now with the six players being Eric Wilson, Jr., a three-star running back. All the kids who signed were, were three-star kids, but Eric Wilson, Jr., a pretty highly touted running back out of Tampa area Armwood High School, very traditional powerhouse program. Chance Coleman, a six-foot, 205-pound linebacker, son of former Tampa Bay Buccaneer Cozy Coleman, uh, out of Gaither High School, which is the greatest high school in the history of our uh, high schools. Um, if, you, if, you, if you couldn't tell, it, it is uh, my uh, alma mater. Uh, AJ Mathis, uh, six six foot two, two hundred pound linebacker out of Largo. So that's three kids from the Tampa area, which uh, we will get into in a second. Because Drew Davis was very proud. Uh, to talk to me about the kids he got from Tampa, being that it's his recruiting area. The fourth being Joe Perkins, a six foot, 196 pound DB from Madison, Mississippi. That was a bit of a surprise. Uh, The fifth, Jamal Potts, who uh, Jake and Shane can get into a lot. Uh, Six foot two, 185 pound corner out of American Heritage in Delray Beach. And the six being Ja'Korian Davis-Hamilton out of another powerhouse in Apopka in Central Florida. So all those kids are all three-star kids. And I'll just go ahead and lead off with just, you know, kind of my quick impressions of the class. And then I'll jump into just some of the thoughts of the coaches with the day. Overall, you know, and Shane and I can get into this, you know, maybe a little bit on this podcast and be another podcast. For those who do not know my opinion, I am not the biggest fan of this day. And that's not to, to um, diminish the work that guys like Shane, you know, and, and others do. It's just that I'm a huge believer in that you do not know what you have until three and four years down the line. We can yeah. take a look at an example of FIU's class last year. A guy who, you know, Bryn Renner, um, who was the heading up recruiting at the time, was very complimentary about. And that's uh, Kendrick Carter, a three-star linebacker out of Manny, Louisiana guess what? He didn't last with the program by four weeks because he was homesick, you know? So you you have another guy and, you know, Danny Corbett, who was a Juco guy who was expected to come in and, you know, maybe solidify the offensive line. He's no longer with the program. So, and I'm not saying that that'll happen with these guys. It's just that you don't really know. If you take a look at UCF's 2015 and 2016 class, uh, they weren't highly touted classes, but you go back and look at those now and they have guys like Mackenzie Milton, who was uh, a two star kid. And granted, that part of that was part of the, the, the recruiting process, but he ends up being a five star kid. I mean, there's a ton of guys like that. But nevertheless, when you look at it on paper, FIU definitely got better in terms of. And I think Shane would agree with this as well. The the level of athletes I think they brought in today the, uh, that they've been able to recruit during this entire signing class, the signing period has been uh improving. I mean you look at the at the 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 um excuse me having a brain fart here it's been a long day if you look at the, the level of programs they're getting kids from the apopkas and armwoods and things of that nature you know I think that it plays a significance as well. And they definitely did fill a lot of needs. I think the only need that you may have said that they they but Of address would have been a defensive lineman, and Butch Davis was quick to note that they still have two scholarships left. So, you could see uh, in his own words, he said, you know, kind of the way that they want to rank those is they're going to look at grad transfers first, then look at, you know, kids who may, uh, may or may not qualify second, and then look at regular transfers third. So, when you take a look at guys who came in. Last year, guys like Alexis Jean-Baptiste and Chris Whitaker, you know, uh, with the way the transfer portal is, they're just guys who could enter the portal late in the game and you don't know what could happen. So I think that's kind of FIU's recruiting philosophy. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up really quick. But as I said, you know, Drew Davis, who uh, is FIU's tight ends coach, he was very pleased he is kind of in control of you know, kind of heading up FIU's recruiting in the Tampa Bay area. And uh, once again, I'll let Shane comment on this as well, being our kind of recruiting guru here. But Drew said that, you know, he didn't necessarily want to compare the Tampa area talent to, you know, one area or another per se, but in his opinion, he felt that the Tampa area is right up there, you know, probably exceeding Orlando and right up there with South Florida in terms of talent. And he also felt that the talent is more spread out. And I think you can see that, with his class when you can get a kid from Gaither and a kid from Largo and things of that nature. So um, overall, I think if you're an FIU fan, you have plenty of reasons to be pleased. Like I said, I just, you know, I would just say would tread lightly, um, you know, proceed with caution. Uh, I'd say the strongest quote from Butch Davis today was this last year, Butch was adamant that because of the depth they'd built up, they weren't looking to push any of the kids into seeing playing time immediately. If you look back at that class, the two guys who saw the most playing time and really the two guys who, uh, only two guys that saw playing time immediately were Camarion Williams at tight end and Cion Fino at guard. Um, and if you look at this year's class, Butch said, Hey, um, we're going to lose quite a bit of guys, quite a bit of talent, um, through graduation. And also we were a six and 17. So all bets are off. And the strongest quote he said is that there are no starting spots that are guaranteed. Now, whether or not you want to believe him at that time will tell. Um, but I think that's pretty telling because he got a lot of guys, a fair amount of guys from last year's team who, did start games are coming back. So for him to say on the record publicly that there are no starting jobs guaranteed and that these freshman guys are coming to compete, I think it's pretty telling. Um, so with that, I'll let, uh, Jake and Shane jump in.
2: So just kind of speaking on, um, FIU's class and it's a very good class. And I I've seen a few of these kids play. you know, one kid, I kind of want to point out uh, a couple kids. I want to point out, um, you know, uh, the first one, this was in a uh, part of your early signing period. And that's the receiver, Xavier McGriff. Sure. I've, I, I saw him play once in seven on seven. Uh, but, you know, and you can't get it, gain everything from seven on seven. And right. just from talking to other people, uh, he is the most talented receiver in that 904 area code in Jacksonville. I've had numerous tell people tell me that, uh, you know, in, in and out of the industry, uh, high school coaches, other players. Um just just from what I'm hearing, that could be your absolute steal um of the class. Another player I kind of watched it when I, you know, and I'm not just saying this. I know Eric will agree when um I found out he was coming there, I said, wow, what a steal. And that's Eric Wilson. Uh Eric Wilson's a running back. I saw Again, I saw him actually in probably the same seven on seven tournament as I saw Xavier and Grip. And I remember talking to him. FAU had just offered him. Uh, and he looked like a college running back heading into his senior year, uh, just physically. He's a big, strong kid. Uh, he, you know, playing at um, Armwood High School. I mean, that's basically, I mean, it, you, anyone anyone who knows high school football. In the state of Florida, knows the name Armwood, right? Am yeah. I wrong with that, Eric? Right?
0: <laughs> you are. You are correct. Yeah, I mean, you are it, correct. It,
2: it's a powerhouse. They're going to be in the final four at least uh, every year, and you know those kids come out kind of at a different level physically. And Eric Wilson fits that. I remember talking to a particular former, now former FAU coach um, about him, and they they said. Now, granted FAU wasn't pushing hard for running backs this cycle uh they said they weren't going to make a big effort for him because they think he's power five all the way so FAU wasn't going to get a match uh you know a fighting match with the Missouris and the Candices, a place where uh Eric had a lot of offers he didn't have a ton of production his senior year which is maybe what you know some of that but he has every physical trait to be a dominating power
1: running back in this conference. The guy that I'm excited about with FIU signing class, and granted there's a little bit of bias because I'm in Palm Beach County, I want to see what Jamal Potts does at FIU. He came from a successful program in American Heritage. They haven't been— Delray. Their, Delray, they haven't been— Yes, there is. You're right. They haven't been <laughs> there. They haven't been their perennial championship themselves the couple years. They've had some injuries. There's been some attrition. But Potts, six foot two. That's good length for a cornerback, especially at the group of five level. He had a great cornerback coach at Heritage Delray and Henry Columbia, who is the father of a quarterback at Utah State. Where's Jordan Love from? Utah State, right? Because he's Jordan Love's teammate. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, I watched Potts a couple times in high school, especially this year. I liked him. I liked him at cornerback. I thought he could be an interesting receiver. He had over 600 yards on like 27 catches. Saw him pull off a 77-yard catchers run against Cardinal Newman. Like he's got the speed, but I think putting him at cornerback. And we've seen the past couple years when FAU has played FIU. That they've, FAU was taken advantage with some really deep passing plays or plays where it wasn't, it was maybe a short pass with a little flip, but they needed bigger cornerbacks and faster cornerbacks. So maybe pots can blossom into that guy.
0: So I'm going to piggyback off you guys really quick and just give a couple of names that I am actually will be, uh, pretty paying, paying pretty close attention to once again, it's been a long day for all of us here. Uh, I'm going to start with a a name, Chase Gabriel, who actually is the kicker who was brought in from, uh, Georgia. The reason I'm mentioning him off the lead off the top is because of the fact that more or less, I mean, there's no one who's really denying it. And I'm sure, you know, we haven't had a chance to ask Butch about him specifically. Um, just just in talking to guys like DJ McCarthy, who is a new uh, special teams coach at FIU, there's no reason to believe that Go ahead, Jake I'm sorry no I,
1: no, I was gonna say that's my man DJ McCarthy he went from uh, FAU he went from FAU to
0: FIU and DJ is still awesome. And, and let me say this really quick. When I mentioned to DJ that you know, because uh, I went in and introduced myself first time I had a chance to meet him, I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, my man is Jake Elman." You know, the the smile up on his face. He's like, "Oh yeah, that's my guy." So uh, <laughs> the, 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 the feeling, the, the feeling is mutual there. Uh, but uh, uh, when I had a chance to talk to uh, DJ, he pretty much said, "You know, hey, uh, from what I see, like, there's no reason to believe that he won't be the guy." So you know, freshman kickers, we all know how that can be. That can be a pretty yep. shaky thing. So I'll be definitely looking forward to see what he can do. Um, Definitely uh, Jose Mirabal. I I just feel that, you know, FIE's offensive line, it has a chance. It it started off shaky last year, and it really solidified towards the end, and it has a chance to be the strong point of this team this year like it was in 2018. And I just feel that Mirabal, if he is as good as he's been touted to be, that I've been told from coaches and, you know, other recruiting guys, if he can slide into potentially a starting spot or be in that rotation – I think that'll be huge. You pair him with, you know, guys like Sione Finau, you pair him with Shane Magoo and, and you know, um, uh, Mershawn Miller and things like that. And, uh, and guys like DeAntony Demery, I think that has a chance to really solidify that offensive line. So I think that'll be well. And the last one, of course, I'm definitely biased here, but the last one I'm going to say is Chance Coleman. Uh, you know, I had a chance to see him at Gaither. Obviously, you know, Gaither right around the corner from my house. And I just think that in terms of linebacker, when you look at the linebackers at FIU got this, this class, AJ Mathis, 6'2", 200, Chance Coleman, 6'2", 205. You're getting big, solid. And they are every bit of those measurements. You know, they are not guys who are actually 180 or 190 or guys who got to fill out, you know, like uh, they're, they're going to put on 15, 20 pounds just by virtue of being a, in a collegiate weightlifting program. But they are solid athletic linebackers from what I've been told and what I've seen. So definitely want to be excited about those guys. And, uh you know, go ahead finish up here i know david will have his thoughts another time but overall just you know final thoughts uh, everyone around the program does seem very excited about these kids and it'll be interesting to see i think personally i'll feel more comfortable with giving more of, a, of an assessment of where they are come spring and seeing how many guys are you know kind of stepping up and standing out and getting reps because you were able to see that with last year's class sure you know they talk about hey this is the best class in program history or the best class since i've been here and so on and so forth but you could see easily in the spring you know hey which guys are actually you know Competing or jumping off the porch with the big dogs, and you know, getting reps and which guys are gonna need some time. So I think I'll feel more comfortable giving an assessment about the guys then, as I pass it off to Jake and Shane to uh, take it away on FAU's class.
1: Well, Eric, Eric, before we uh, sure. move to FAU, sure. sure, I think everybody is always interested in learning about the quarterbacks, and obviously James Morgan is gone. He's probably going to be drafted in a couple of months sure. with Hayden Carlson, <laughs> whose brother Noah was briefly at FAU. Do you? Uh, what do you think about Hayden Carlson, and is he somebody that, even though he's going to be a true freshman, maybe can factor into the quarterback battle this summer, or is he somebody who may
0: not factor in until twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two? I'm going to answer this question, and I'm going to try my best not to betray. Can I conference.
2: can I interrupt here for a question, and because I, I just want to add yes. to this, and this is I was actually kind of thinking the same question, sure. Eric. I want you to kind of, but. I'm surprised, and I know we mentioned it in our group chat, just based on it, and you can talk about Hayden Carlson as well. Just based on what FIU, I mean, kind of, Wiggins is the only quarterback coming back with real experience. And, you know, we Correct. even saw how Chris Robinson struggled his redshirt freshman year. So, you know, uh, kind of with, with Stone. It, it, this can be his first year. I'm surprised FIU did not bring in another vet quarterback through the portal just to have another experienced quarterback in that battle. I'm, I was
0: very surprised by that. I'm actually glad you brought that up as well. I'm going to lead off with Jake's point, and I'm then my piggyback and segue into yours, okay? So to, to uh, Jake's question about hating Carlson, I'm going to try to answer this and not betray the confidence of people who have told me things. I'm going right. to okay. kind of – paraphrase as best I can um short answer there's no reason to believe that Hayden will play a factor in the QB situation coming up in 2020 the reason for that for those who don't know uh I'm sure you know you guys know this but for those who don't know Hayden Carlson is the son of former NFL quarterback Jeff Carlson played with Tampa Bay and New England had a cup of coffee with some other teams but um he did not force Hayden to play football very early on. As a matter of fact, Hayden spent the majority of his formative years playing soccer. Uh, Hayden's only played football now for you know four years since the ninth grade. So with that comes you know obviously the uh, ability that he has a lot of room for growth, but also he's not. You know he hasn't played football his entire life, and that makes him a pretty raw prospect in terms of physical attributes. There's all the belief. Let's just say if you're comparing him to Stone Norton, uh, mm-hmm. the the freshman who redshirted, right? From those who have confided in me, they the belief is that Hayden has better physical attributes um, in terms of just you know arm talent and things of that nature. But when you look at Stone, you're talking about a guy who a has played football his entire life, and B, and I think this is important to note, played for a former NFL quarterback at Davidson Academy in Nashville, on Jonathan Quinn, who was running very much a college-style offense. If, if you look at the kids who were who, who came from that high school themselves, uh, themselves, they had a bunch of kids who went D one. So uh, Stone, in that sense, it definitely has a leg up, and he has a leg up being in Rich Grosky's system. So I, I don't believe that Hayden, unless there's some drastic change, you know, there's no reason really to believe that Hayden will be a factor in the quarterback battle coming up in 2020. Now, to to uh, Shane's point, really quick, I would not, I would not call it a foregone conclusion that a quarterback will not be brought in. I would say that right now, and I know it feels like it may be late. Excuse me. I know it feels that it might be late in the game per se, but Coach Davis made a point, and I do have to agree with him here. Uh, with the way this transfer portal thing is shaking out, I mean, people are just entering the portal later and later, and just so many more. The amount of kids who are entering the portal is just it's it's crazy. The amount of kids who are in the portal. So I would not rule out. And if you actually look at the quarterbacks who are left, according to two four seven sports. There are plenty of guys, and I wish I had them off the top of my head. I did another podcast with a buddy of mine um, uh, who uh, we we outlined the quarterbacks that are there. Uh, There are a lot of established guys who are, 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 I won't say established, but there are a lot of talented guys who could easily be targets for a G5 program. So I would not rule out the idea or the possibility that a quarterback could be brought in. And um, there are people around the program who have hinted, that uh, it just they're keeping an eye out there to, to, to keeping an eye on things to see how things progress. So that's not to say that I did specifically ask if they would be comfortable if the season started tomorrow with with Kalen Wiggins and Stone Norton. And they said, yes, obviously, you know, uh, Rich Krosky's not going to say no, <laughs> you know, but uh, I would I would not rule out the idea that there are um, a quarterback could be brought in. OK, that's fair. <laughs> So, yeah. So, like I said, you yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, tra- yeah. know, we'll, 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 we'll give some type of transition. No,
1: no, no, no. Listen, Eric has the best FIU analysis. So eventually you just get to a point where you listen to everything he says. And it's hard to argue with him because, number one, there's not many people that have a different opinion because Eric is one of the most of four people with FIU. And number two, Eric is just smart in general. So, <laughs> what he says is is what he says goes and what he says is
0: fair i i, I appreciate that <laughs> 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 so yeah so we'll go to in, uh, in, in transition into uh into uh, fau guys so i'll let you guys take it away because i do have some thoughts as well some curiosities of my own as far as the alice recruiting class
2: so uh yeah i'll get i guess i'll get started and uh we'll let jake fill in here um yeah i mean uh it, it, we were kind of having this debate. I maybe mean, we kind of have and after, um, you know, FAU's recruiting class. I'd say is probably one of the more unique ones. It's obviously very different than what Lane um, has did in the past. Uh, you know, FAU officially, if you count transfers right now, is that what, Jake, I think the 24 mark officially yeah. they came out on that press release? Yes, there's a yes. few. There's a few more names out there that have – openly committed they're on our list but FAU hasn't put the really put them on the official paper or 247 just i don't want to get into all like this complicated scholarship stuff we don't that's that's a different episode for a different time but they will eventually they'll definitely be here playing football at fau which um i think the biggest thing with fau was and uh this is actually from a question jake asked you know when uh, after the early signing period, uh, you know, w- Willie and, I, and actually at the opening press conference, I asked Willie, you know, what do you kind of do a recruiting was Well, let's just keep the guys you have. So that'd sign, what uh, signed, you know, eight, nine, ten players in the early signing period. I can't even remember. It's all kind of blurs together now. And they just pretty much kept the guys they wanted. Um, they already had committed. They just wanted to get those guys in here so he could hire a staff. And it is just crazy again. We could do a whole nother podcast on what I think of the early signing period, right, Um, and how it affects kids and all this kind of craziness. But just keep those kids in. And then they went to work in a a way for building for the future. Uh, You know, a lot of the young kids at kind of the trenches positions. But also with a mind saying we have a really talented football team right now have really talented a lot of positions, let's just fill some holes, right? So, obviously, kind of the number one thing FAU is going to – people will kind of notice about this class is FAU got four transfer receivers, three of them being from the ACC, two of them being grad transfers, okay? Um, DeMarcus Adams, Florida State, he's only a redshirt f- uh,
1: freshman. Sophomore, uh, sophomore. He's a
2: redshirt sophomore. He will be. Yeah. So we don't yep. know if he's going to get a waiver. He's one of the question marks. He's applying for a waiver. Uh, Jake, what did Willie say? He was confident. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I asked Willie and I paraphrase it with because there's all sorts of legal stuff with the yes. waivers and that stuff. So I don't know if you can talk about it, but, you know, the two players who play for you at Florida State, which was Adams and Malcolm Lamar, who is defensive lineman, do you, do you expect them to pursue waivers to play in 2020? And he said, I do. And he was asked, are you confident if they will get the waivers? And he said, yeah. And they pretty much said that the NCAA does what they feel is right, which is another conversation to have. But Taggart came off as optimistic. So if Adams and Lamar play this year, great. If they don't, as I've said, OK, you do what they did with Javon Durant three years ago, which is, hey, the guy transfers here. He takes a year. He learns the system. Although these guys know Taggart system, whatever. Um, and then come 2021, you get him in the lineup because come 2021, you're not going to have John Mitchell. You're not going to have Willie Wright. You're not going to have the grad transfers. that are here this year. So you're going to need somebody to come into that lineup at receiver, especially on the outside who knows the system I can play. Yeah.
2: So let's talk about the two grad transfers. So FAU, um, added, um, area and TJ chase, uh, both ACC guys, both highly recruited. Aaron Young was actually a starter at Duke. Um, both, uh, both seat received uh, considerable playing time. TJ chase got kind of stuck behind two of probably the best receivers in the country. um, and T. Wiggins and um, just the other kids at uh, Clemson's name is escaping my head right now, but they will be able to come here and play immediately. And you know, we can even make the argument: FAU's receiving core wasn't that great last year. Um, John John Mitchell, who is coming back, was probably FAU's best pure outside receiver. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah, it, you know. He's always been solid, but there's been inconsistencies in his game. Just you know, he'll have game stretch where you're like, "Hey, kind of where is this guy, uh, right. Willie Taggart?" And kind of bring it back to you, Jake. You asked the question and about having a quarterback like you know Willie kind of hasn't had a, a a stable quarterback position in a while for somewhere he's coached. And Willie said, "We got to get him, guy, get him guys to throw him the ball." Uh, Effie's also I wrote about um, Blue Dorsey, the tight end. That's coming that hasn't been announced yet he committed yep. today so that with the juco that's another highly rated kid so they got weapons to play now for fv i think fv is kind of looking at their roster looking at the running backs um and you know uh some of the offensive line and the secondary to bring you back saying and you know obviously probably best offense player in the conference and chris robinson and saying we have a chance to you know, win another 11, 12 games, you know what I mean? So I think that was kind of the thinking to get some immediate help in that room. And, you know, the other big thing with this class is if you go up and down the rest of the class, 90% of these kids play in the box. Uh, the fus uh, they took five O-linemen, uh, six defensive linemen. I mean, some of the kids are kind of stand up outside linebackers and the three, four system. But anyone knows that watched Jim Levitt's, Yep. Kind of three, four. That outside outside linebacker is kind of that typical stand up pass rusher. So, um, you know, we've talked endlessly on this podcast about you know FIU not being able to stop the run, and I always make the argument that stopping the run is done in recruitment. Uh, FAU did that today. It, getting trench players was young trench players was the priority and man, they they capitalized on it.
1: Well, this is one of the things, and I know that I said this to you, two major takeaways from this class. The first is something that we talked about, which is all the holes that Taggart need to address both short-term and long-term, I think he addressed. He got outside receiver help. He got defensive line help. And listen, FAU's moving with 3-4, whatever. You still need defensive tackle depth. You still need defensive end depth because – after this year, you're losing a lot of guys. You're losing Leyden McCarthy at defensive end slash linebacker. He played the Leo last year, whatever he's gonna play this year. You're gonna lose Marcel Suttle at defensive tackle. You're gonna lose Colin Dell at defensive tackle. So you need guys you can bring in and develop them this year, even if they're just playing on scout team, guys that can learn the system. So you've got, there's you got a those guys, guys.
2: Jake that are going to have to play. Every's right. biggest loss is they lost a lot of guys, a lot of solid vet, so, you know, guys like they've been here forever. The Ray Ellis is, the William yep. Davises, the Kevin you know, McCrary. McCrarys, you know, guys who just, you know, they weren't making all the names in the you right. conference. Room, say like Robinson or Malcolm Davidson and getting you know or Harrison Bryant, but you know. FIU also wasn't giving up 500 yards rushing to Middle Tennessee. I'm making FIU. is the comparison. Sorry to re-
0: keep, you
2: know. Oh, uh, uh,
0: no, no, Sean, Shane, really quick. As someone who was there, you can bring up that game from now to the end of time. <laughs> someone, yeah, that's mean, someone who it's a good
2: example because it is hard to recruit those positions. Talking to coaches, and we're getting to kind of recruiting theory, you know, the, the toughest position you see struggles at Florida State, even Florida, you know you live in south florida you know the struggles of miami's offensive line you know you got to take five six offensive line in a year and you gotta and and really it's you hope two or three work out it's it's a position that requires outside a quarterback like the most projection of what this kid's going to be it's a lot of okay we have a big kid can we down frame his body is it you know, or we have a big kid. Can we make him more athletic? Oh, we're taking a frame and we get, can we add weight to it? Does he have the mental toughness? Can he play inside, outside? It's just a really, and in Florida, it's not the coach's fault. High school, I always say, and we can harp on this high school coaches in Florida don't get paid nearly enough money. So to have guys to, to coach a position as technical as offensive line is hard. I can say that FAU's got a couple offensive linemen in this cycle that come from places that, um, you know, have great offensive line coach Andre Lamas from Columbus high school, eight, a state title this year. Right. Uh, Shout out to coach Hill there. Um, FAU took an offensive lineman from Federico Mangus, who was there last year. Um, One of the best offensive line coaches in Florida high school football. So, you know, Malik Jones coming from a place where he played both sides of the ball where his dad's the coach and, you know, a lot of offense line coach. So they're getting guys that are kind of a little bit, I would say, tech more technically farther along um, mm-hmm. in kind of that really tough position to play.
1: So I guess the short takeaway with my class, and this is something that Shane and I were talking about, is in terms of did Willie Taggart get the kids who can – help FAU repeat his conference champions next year? Yes. Alvin Dempsey at defensive tackle, Sebastian Dolce and Eli Fields on the offensive line, the two grad transfer receivers, even, even somebody like Justin McKibben, the slot receiver. He's somebody who, depending on what happens with kick returns and punt returns, maybe he gets a spot there. I mean, the guy averaged 30 yards per kick return in college. He's, or sorry, in high school, he's got the speed. He's got some experience doing it. The, the other question becomes, did Taggart do enough to get FAU ready for 2021 and 2022 and 2023? And the answer is, we don't know. You bring in some talented players. You mentioned Malik Jones, Alex at Cabbage, the offensive lineman from IMG. Malik Jones, um, McKithen, uh, Lou Dorsey, tight ends uh some other trevor reeves from miami edison defensive back so i think there's a lot of talent in this class the most important thing is always is getting these guys here and i think grading these classes in the minutes after which people are going to do is a fool's task and there are sites that will say well fau has the 75th best signing class well i mean you say that now, but the Athletic did a story the other day where they looked back at FAU's 2016 signing class. I don't remember what FAU's 2016 class was ranked, probably in the mid-70s. And they were ranked the 16th best class by the Athletic because of how many guys developed into starters and contributors. Motor Singletary, Harrison Bryant, even guys like... Will Davis and Kevin McCrary, guys who maybe didn't stuff the stat sheet, but guys who were stars and became reliable contributors. I think that's what both of these programs need. We want instant gratification because that's how humans in 2020 are designed. We want to see all these guys, Hayden Carlson, Willie Taggart Jr. at quarterback, Justin McKiffin, Jamal Potts. We want to see them contribute when the season started in September, well, you know what? You might have to wait a couple of years. That was the thing with FAU's 2017 class. Everybody said immediately, this is the best class of program history. Well, how many of those guys transferred from the program after one or two years? How many guys from Butch Davis's first class, which I remember saying at the time and thinking, Butch Davis did a good job bringing guys in who can get FAU back on the right path. Well, you know, Next year, those guys are going to be registered juniors or seniors. How many guys have really blossomed into contributors or starters or players who have been memorable? And I think that's one of those things that it's going to take time. But the most important thing Taggart did is he got guys who have will have a chance to contribute immediately. The grad transfers, the Juco guys who are already here, TJ Chase when he gets here over the summer, and... Come September, when FAU opens the season at Minnesota, I said when Taggart was hired and after the Boca Bowl, nine wins, anything less barring any major injuries is unacceptable. After today, seeing this class, I'm not expecting a lot of the freshmen to contribute immediately. Maybe they play a game or two like against Stony Brook. We'll see. But Taggart did everything he needed to do.
0: I just have two really quick points I want to run by both you guys. They're more questions more than anything else. One is a statement. One is a question. Um, My first statement is this. I absolutely believe, in my opinion, there's only so much that a coach can do when you got to hit the ground running. And, yeah, you look at a guy like Mike Norvell at Florida State and everyone's saying, oh, man, he did such a great job doing this and doing that. I mean, I think there's only so much you can do when you get the job at that point. So I'm not going to fully assess Willie Taggart based on, you know, the however many months he's been on the job. What I will say right. is this: I,
1: I, I don't think I don't think you can.
0: Right, right, and and I don't want to I don't want to make it sound as, as if you or Shane were either. right. Um, right, but but I, I think the right. biggest thing, the biggest statement for me is that the fact when he was able to get that kid TJ Chase, um, I just think that is, in, in my opinion, the reason I'm spotlighting him is because of the fact that if you can, and like you said, I I don't think that I don't think that anything less than a I'll, I'll, hell, I'll go and say 10-win season for FAU. Um, anything less than that would be a disappointment. I think FAU has a chance of a really special year next year. And if they can have the year that I think people believe that they can with Robinson and, you know, and, and guys like TJ Chase and, you know, the people that have coming back, um, I think that'll be enough of a selling point that you can parlay that into the further recruiting classes. And then the, the question that I have for you guys is this, because we've kind of talked about this informally off the pod, but I'm going to ask it on here. How would you guys feel about this class if Willie Taggart Jr. was not a part of it? Meaning if Willie Taggart had not gotten a quarterback, which, of course, that's his son. So you expect him to get him. But if there were not a quarterback as part of this class, how would you guys feel? You got to take a quarterback
2: every year. Uh, That's just that's just the standard. Too many kids transfer. Uh, I mean, some schools can argue you got to take two quarterbacks every year. Just the way it works. Uh, I don't suggest two quarterbacks a year. Quarterbacks seem to be more of a we'll figure it out next year type of thing in college football, which is an issue. Um, I, I, I think you know it, it used to be, and we're getting into a little off track here that sometimes you had like a maybe that fifth year guy was kind of maybe a bridge quarterback, it used to be, um, and get your team to a bowl game, but now you don't see that as much anymore. You kind of see it, uh, uh. It, they just, everyone just goes back to the portal, back to the portal. So I still think you got to take a guy every year. Um, You know, we know that was kind of history, you know, with um, Willie and, you know, missing on a couple guys. You know, I was also saying to somebody, you know, if, if Willie gets Sam Howe at Florida State, which, you know, it's just, it was just a last minute decision. Nothing you can control. He's probably still the head coach at Florida State. I mean, would anyone disagree with that? I wouldn't. Yeah, I,
1: yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, it's, not you, my, it's, not, it's not my place to say. I,
2: I think that just, you know, it's, it, it's a tough situation when you don't have a quarterback. We've seen that issue with USF um, oh. over the last couple of years. It's, you know, it's you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. It's, it's just, it, it's so college game. I mean, we could just even talk on a bigger level. I mean, why was LSU has been with this past year essentially has been the same team it's been for the last decade, but um, you know, they, they got a quarterback. That's why they won the national title. It's what they've always been missing from the differences in Alabama. So, you know, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not anything. So yeah, yeah you got to take one this class.
1: Yeah. I agree with Shane. I think in terms of Willie Taggart jr. There are going to be some raised eyebrows because Willie Taggart put his kid on scholarship. And, look, at the end of the day, you got to add a quarterback. And we don't know what's going to happen with the transfer portal. We don't know what kid is going to say in May when spring camp ends. You know what? i got three years of eligibility left. I'm not making any progress climbing the depth chart. Let me see. uh, Oh, FAU. Okay, Chris Robinson. Maybe he goes – to the draft after this year. And if he doesn't, okay, he comes back for his Richard senior year. I'm still going to have a couple years of eligibility remaining. So I think adding adding a quarterback was important. He got Taggart Jr. Great. If Taggart Jr. stays a quarterback, which Taggart Sr. said today sounds like the plan. Great. If it turns out that they move him to another position down the line. Okay. Next year, he had another quarterback because next year, Chris Robinson, if he doesn't go to the draft, is going to be a fifth-year senior. Dick Tronte is going to be a fifth-year senior. Justin Agner is going to be gone. So you got to start, and this is what it all comes down to, you got to add guys to start preparing for when your starters leave. And that is something that I think Taggart did this cycle and something that I think Lane Kiffin was working on last year. He added a bunch of offensive linemen. I remember saying to Shane at one point, feels like they're adding a ton of offensive linemen. Well, you graduated Brandon Walton, graduated Junior Diaz. Marquise Robinson, I thought, improved at right tackle. I don't know if he's secure at that spot. I think Nick Weber, who still has a couple years of eligibility left, maybe he's not locked in at right guard. So that's why you add these young guys so that when you get to spring camp, when you get to fall camp, you can say, hey, wait a second. This guy's playing well. Maybe he factors in. And if Tagger Jr. does that in twenty
0: twenty one or in twenty twenty
1: two at quarterback, great.
0: All right. And that's going to bring an end to our 2020 signing day special. Uh, like we said at the top, you know, once again, Shane's been kicking ass. We want to thank him for doing all of the work that he's done, but also, you know, Hey, credit to Jake element as well, for putting all the hours and you know, uh, if you guys want to kudos, give me a little kudos. I'll take it as well. But as always, you can find this podcast on various podcast platforms. You can find us, you know, on our Twitter platform, specifically if you want to reach out to all of us, find us at shulable pod on Twitter at five reason sports on Twitter, and please leave us feedback. We can take it. We're big boys you know positive negative or otherwise reach out to us let us know what you think about the podcast it's the only way we can grow and improve this thing daily so uh, it's been a long day for all of us we're gonna go and call it a night thank you for listening and uh join us next time appreciate it bro you get all the kudos